0: Well, let me invite you to, to open your Bibles to First Peter, chapter 3. Well, to consider uh, this evening just simply one verse, in fact, not even the entire verse, um, just verse 18 with you, First Peter, chapter 3, hope that God's Word can guide us as we think about what it is we've heard about tonight. Whenever... Um, Whenever I'm at one of these Good Friday services, I'm I'm always reminded of the, uh, of the poet, the hymn writer, who talked about pleasing grief and mournful joy. You know, I I don't know I quite don't know how to feel. You know, we we sing the song, "Um, "Were you there?" Right, and there's this part of me that says, "Don, let's finish the song." You know, I I don't want to leave him in the tomb. Of course, we we know the end of the story, but they did not, did they, on that Friday night. He was to them uh, dead, and so they put him in the tomb. I want to consider with you tonight, uh, just briefly, Jesus' death. I hope you understand how utterly unique Christianity is when we come to these truths, that Jesus would claim, unlike all the other founders of every single religion, the point of his life was not his teaching. It was not his example. But the point of his life was his death. I am the good shepherd, he says. What, What does that mean? He tells us, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I have come to give my life, to die as a ransom for many. So I hope you appreciate how utterly unique this is, that, 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 that no Buddha or no teacher or, or no Muhammad ever made any claim like this. They all claimed, every single one of them, my point is my life, they came to live. Jesus says, I have come to die. That's why I'm here. And he did die, as we heard tonight from John's account. But of course, it's not enough to know that he died. Everyone knows he died. What we need to know is why. In fact, elsewhere, Jesus says, only if I die will I bear much fruit. And so he says, I'm gonna, my death is a fruit-bearing death. So the question for us is, what kind of fruit? Now, we could spend the rest of our days exploring that, couldn't we? And so I simply want to look at this one verse and kind of say, "Well, what, where's the fruit in Jesus' death? And let me just suggest to you that 1 Peter 3.18 tells us, describes two kinds of fruit. One is one, one kind of fruit we might call salvation. The other kind we might call transformation. Or we might put it this way, he came to give us life, And then at the same time, He came to enable us to live that life differently. So let's begin by thinking about His salvation. There in 1 Peter 3, verse 18, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins. The question might be, okay, whose sins is He suffering for? We'll read on. The righteous for the unrighteous. See how that's parallel. Christ suffered for sins. The righteous... Suffered for the unrighteous. So we know that that Christ is is the righteous one and he is suffering for the unrighteous one or he's suffering for sinners. And just to be crystal clear, keep your finger here and look back in chapter 2, verse 24. I thought about preaching this verse. There's another good, maybe next year. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. So whose sins? You see it? Our sins. He's bearing our sins. That's why he died. Now, when we, when we heard John's account, we saw something different. That is, we saw this placard above his head, right? And it, it read in, in Aramaic, Greek, and Latin, the king of the Jews. That, that placard above his head is in, in the Roman world was called a, 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 a titulus. It's a tablet that's fixed above the crucified's head in fact, they would they wear would it around their neck when they're paraded through the streets before they're crucified, and on it is their crime. And so if you saw a man dying on the cross, you would look and say, well, why is he dying? And you look above his head, and there his crimes would be. This is why he's dying. He's dying because he's committed treason, He's dying because he's committed murder, or he's dying because, in this case, he claimed to be a rival king. So that's what everyone was saw. But when God looked down from heaven, God God saw a different title, if you will. He saw something else. In fact, Paul, I think, perhaps is alluding to this when he writes in Colossians 2. God has forgiven us all our trespasses by counseling the record of debt that stood against us. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So they read King of the Jews, but God looks down and he sees something else. You know what he sees? Your sin. And my transgressions and our uncleanness and and all of our rebellion. On Jesus' title is not his sin, but it's our sin. That's why he's dying. He's dying to counsel our debt, Paul says. For your trespasses to be forgiven. Sometimes sin is talked about scripturally as debt. So imagine, if you will, that that I borrow a thousand dollars from you and I'm now in debt to you. And perhaps I even give you an IOU, a promissory note. And, and on that note, you know, I, I I write my debt down and my my intent to repay that. I I might write something, you know, that, that I, Stephen Carn, owe you a thousand dollars. Okay. Well, we all we all have this personal, if you will, I O U towards God. All the sin you've committed is a debt that must be repaid to God. Every careless word, every angry moment, every covetous desire, every impure thought, every every selfish action—it's a mount. We might call it a mountain of debt. Right, And we have no hope of paying it off. It's a a crushing debt. It would take us literally, not figuratively, literally an eternity to pay it off. And Jesus has come, and he has paid the debt. God has forgiven all our trespasses by counseling the record of debt that stood against you. This he set aside, nailing it, to the cross. It's canceled. The debt is paid. Right? It's, it's all taken from you. The record is removed. God took that IOU and He nailed it to the cross in order to pay it there. Christ paid it. He took the debt upon Himself. Imagine, maybe, maybe let's say you didn't owe. I didn't owe you, but maybe I owed the IRS. And and the IRS comes and they say, okay, Mr. Karn, you owe us a thousand times more than you're worth. And then my friend came and says, you know, I have exactly what he owes. I'll pay it. So what would they do? They would say, okay, well, we don't care. Who's, wherever we get our money. And they, they, they go to his house. And what do they do? They take the paintings off the wall. They take the furniture out of the living room. They take the appliances out. They take the, the jewelry off his fingers. They take his house. They take it all. And, and there, there he's out on the streets. He gives it all up. He, he's ruined. He suffers for your death. Is that not what Peter is telling us? For Christ also suffered once for sins. He suffered to pay your debt. His, he paid it in full. His work is finished. The payment is made. What that means, if the payment is made, there is nothing more that you can do to make yourself acceptable to God. The debt is paid. Now, now some of you may be thinking, okay, Stephen, you know, we've heard this before, right? Tell us. All right, and we all know this. Jesus came and paid the debt, and, that, and we say Jesus paid it all and all the rest, and we got that. Anything else you got for us? Well, I'm not exactly sure if you actually got it. So I wonder if we truly appreciated this truth, if the life in which we lived would be different. I think that this truth would actually transform us, and I think probably in a thousand different ways. Let me just give you one. I wonder if you're anything like me and the people that I have spoken to, that when you give yourself over to sin, there's an accusing voice that comes. Has that ever happened to you? And, and the voice says, you really think you should go to church today in light of what you've done? In fact, in my case, you're going to preach God's Word in light of what you've done? You you really think this is a good time to open the Bible in light of how you spoke to Him, or you really think you can draw near to God in prayer in light of the the thoughts that you have been having? You you ever hear that voice? That conscience that comes? You know, if you're in the world, you know what you do with that voice? You just try to shut it up. You don't listen to it. Right? You you say, well, you know, who's to say what's right and wrong? Or you say, like, um, well, it's not my fault... It's my genetics, it's my upbringing, it's the traffic, you know, it wasn't me, it was something else, you, or, or you just redefine it, and you say, well, that, the, you know, it's not, it's not really wrong, it's just more of a mistake, or, or maybe it's not wrong, maybe it's good, right? We, we change it. That's what you do with that voice. Now, if you're more kind of a re- legalistic kind of religion, you know what you do? You negotiate, and you say, okay, yeah, I did that, I shouldn't have done that, but what about all this good I've done? And what, last week I was doing really good, Right? And I, I brought so-and-so a meal, and I, I, I paid my tithe check, and I've done this, and I've done that, and what you do, if you're legalistic, you, you look at your record. So the world says to your conscience, "Be quiet, I'm not listening." Religion tries to bargain. You know what the gospel does to your conscience? Conscience comes to you. Gospel says, "You're right." That was terrible. I can't believe I did that. In fact, conscience, I'm glad you're here. Because you're helping me run back to my father for mercy. You're helping me to know I need grace. But don't you ever tell me I cannot go to my father because the debt has been paid. It's all done. Right? Listen, my judgment day, if you're a Christian, your judgment day is past. You understand that. <laughs> the trial's over, the verdict is in, it has been rendered not guilty. That's why Christ has died. And so, the, so listen, uh, he, God has therefore, in the debt being paid, God has fully accepted you. If you, listen, if you had done everything right this week, Let's say you go out next week and you for a whole whole week, 7 days, you don't commit a single sin. Right? You are just like Jesus for 7 days. You will be no more acceptable to God than if you had spent that entire week sinning. You understand that? That's the gospel. Because you are not accepted by your works. You are not accepted by what you have done. What if you went to the IRS a little, I went to the IRS a little bit later and said, you know, I came up with a hundred bucks. Here you go. Would you like this? The IRS would look at me and they'd say, whoa, 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 we don't want your money. Well, of course they, they wouldn't say that, right? They would take the money. But, but what they would say is, okay, you give, please understand, you giving us this hundred dollars, that does nothing for you. Right? That doesn't endear you to us. That doesn't make you more acceptable to us. Your debt has been paid. There is therefore nothing you can do to make yourself more acceptable to God. Maybe you're here tonight and you're, you're not a Christian. And I would simply hope that you would, if you're talking, what do, what do Christians believe? Well, we believe it is not our goodness and our righteousness and our morality that makes us acceptable to God. In fact, all the good deeds that we happen to do are things we're supposed to do anyways. They don't pay off our debt. We think the only way in which we're acceptable is yielding our life to Jesus who paid for our debt, right? And, and we, we, you know, we read this, we, we struggle even to get through this account in John, don't we? and we see jesus dying on the cross you ever wonder what you know what, what kept him there everyone's mocking him why don't you come down if you are who you say you are what kept him on the cross you think it was the nails i think it was the soldiers standing around him he's the creator of the universe right the, he's not intimidated by roman soldiers and he's certainly not stopped by nails. He could have come down at any moment. And so what kept him on the cross? What what kept Jesus enduring unbelievable spiritual agony? You know it? It's love. That's it. His love for the Father, his love for you. I hope you understand that's why he's there. You understand that love. You you know what it's like to be in pain? And and listen, people have to to hold you down. They have to restrain you. I remember taking one of my children to the doctor, and literally I had to put all my weight to restrain this child in the midst of pain. What held Jesus down? What restrained Jesus? His love for you. That's what pays your debt. That's what takes your sin. So why did he do it? Well, look on. Read on in verse 18. Look what he's accomplishing. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That, here it is, he might bring us to God. So what this tells us, what we've already learned is that our sin... Can't, well, there's nothing we can do that make us more acceptable to God. Let me put it that way. There's nothing you can do, no righteousness, that can make you more acceptable to God. But what this also teaches us, Christ has done this to bring us to God. Therefore, there's nothing you can do to take yourself away from God. You can't bring yourself closer, and you can't bring yourself farther away. Because what often we do is we sin, and we think, well, how can God continue to love me after what I've done? We, we think our sin will take us from God, that Christ's itty-bitty, tiny little love is not enough to match your terrible and heinous sin. Well, my friends, look what he's done for you. Look what he's endured for you, that he took a tidal wave of agony upon himself. He took a tsunami of, of suffering the like of which no one has ever experienced before. That's what he's done. That's finished. So what then can you do that's going to wear him out? Right? What can you do for him for Jesus to say to you, okay, that's just too much to endure? It would be like if someone gave you a kidney and then he said a year later, do you mind getting me a cup of water? And they said, what are you talking about? A cup of water? I have to get out of my chair, walk to the kitchen. That's too much. No chance, right? It'd be like if 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 your spouse had an affair and 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 or you had an affair and your spouse took you took you back at a great love and sacrifice to you and then and then one one day you leave the cap off the toothpaste and your spouse walks in and says, "I can't believe the toothpaste again. I've had enough. I'm leaving you." Right? What can you do to wear out Christ's love in light of the cross? He endured the cross, divine judgment, infinite suffering, because he loves you. How are you going to break that? My friends, there's nothing you could do to make yourself more acceptable to him, and there's nothing you could do to make yourself less acceptable to him. No matter what sin you commit, it will not do either. You say, well, doesn't he care about sin? Well, yeah, he cares about sin. Look over in verse 20, chapter 2, verse 24. Let me just show you here, so I'm not misunderstood it says he himself bore our sins in the body, of, in his body on the tree. Why? This is the purpose here, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So look, look, Christ died for sin, that you might die to sin. Yeah, he he cares about sin. He he died so that you would stop sinning. He died so that you would live a righteous life. And so tomorrow, when you're tempted to impurity or cowardice or dishonesty or arrogance or insensitivity or whatever it is, don't do it. Christ died so that you would die to that. In, in, in many ways, I think Jesus would say to you, haven't, haven't I been hit enough, right? When you go out and sin, Jesus is saying, listen, do you too do want to put your hands around my throat? Is that what you're doing? I think, that's, I think that metaphorically, that's what we're doing when we sin. We're, we're, just, we're, just, we're just hitting them too, just another person hitting them. And I think because of Christ's love for us, we ought to turn from sin. There's no doubt. As the, the hymn writer put it, Jesus, for thee a body takes, thy guilt assumes, thy fetters break, discharging all thy dreadful debt. And canst thou then such love forget? I think his love should compel us. I think the cross screams to us. Don't give yourself to sin. But my friends, when you do, the cross screams to you, you can always come back. You can always come back. You say, I'm too unworthy. You can't accept me because of what I've done. Jesus says, do you realize what I've endured for you? Nothing is too much. I love you. And therefore, I have given myself up for you. And I never want you to forget. And that's why we, every year, have a good Friday service. Not that we don't talk about the cross every Sunday morning as well, but a special time to consider the work of Christ. But even more than that, it's why we have this meal in front of us, isn't it? As the Lord has reminded us, that this meal is our time to remember the sacrifice of our Lord and what it means for us. My hope is that we prepare our hearts to take it and we hold the elements in our hands while everybody receives so we could eat and drink together, that you might contemplate and even rejoice in your heart that Christ has died to pay my debt. And therefore, there is nothing I can do to make myself more acceptable to him and nothing I can do to make myself less acceptable to him. I have been brought to God simply through the work of Christ. And that indeed would produce great joy in your hearts. Let pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for your word, but more than that, we're thankful for that to which it testifies: that our Lord has come, and He has died, that we might be forgiven. You have taken our great record of debt and nailed it to the cross, and therefore all our trespasses are forgiven, they're blotted out. I pray, therefore, we would live with great confidence and hope, and that we will be quick to return to you, and to be with you, for Christ has died to bring us to you. We thank you that you and you alone are our only hope, and it's even in this meal that we celebrate those truths. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.